It's all about e-learning. You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The Voice Sam Player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicesam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicesam.com slash markscott. The VOpreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan. Not as cute as Seth Meyers. Not as smart as Colbert. But he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur. Hello and welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. I'm Mark Scott, once again, ready to give you some actionable, practical advice that you can use to grow your voiceover business. And this time around, we are going to be exploring a genre that I work in a lot and I'm very excited to share with you because I think that it can be a really lucrative and fun genre of voiceover to do. Now, just before we get into it, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for sharing the episodes as well. Can you do me a favor? Can you post a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening? Let people know you're enjoying the show, and I would love to read your reviews, and I'm always encouraged by them as well. So this time around, we are diving into the subject of e-learning, and if that is a genre that you have ever thought about exploring before, I hope by the time that you get through the end of this interview, you're going to have a lot of your questions answered in how to find the work, who are the right people to talk to, what are some of the things that you can say to try to get them to hire you, and how to quote e-learning work. There's a lot of good information in this episode, so let's dive in. So when it comes to voice acting, plenty of folks talk about genres like commercial, promo, animation, and video games, jobs that come with fancy credits and sometimes with big paydays. But there's plenty of great opportunities to make good money on the non-broadcast side as well, including a genre that is sometimes overlooked, and that genre is e-learning. My guest today is someone who has been booking big work in this genre for years and teaching voice actors the ins and outs of it as well. Her credits include Ikea, Chevron, Johnson & Johnson. Welcome to the show, Christy Bowen. Hello, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I think the last time I saw you, you were bossing everybody around at VO Atlanta. <laughs> Uh, well, ran, running around frantically, yes, I do remember that. I think, I do, yeah, I, there were a few people I was bossing around, yeah. <laughs> you were doing a great job. You looked like well, a total you. authority figure, and, and, and I was just afraid to not do whatever you told me to do. So you, you had complete <laughs> control of the situation. Well, thank you. <laughs> so let's start with a question that I get asked the most about e-learning, and I'm guessing it's probably the question that you get asked the most too, and that is, where do we look for the work? Is it production companies? Is it directly with businesses and corporations? Is there something else entirely that we need to be looking at? Where do we start? That's a great question. And it is one of the most asked questions because a lot of people are turning to e-learning and, you know, realizing it is a kind of a steady type of work. And so they want to know where to go get it. And, you know, everything that you mentioned is a valid answer. And I think most of the time, getting it directly from e-learning companies or companies that work with e-learning company, you know, e-learning producers, um, or contract with like the you know the big corporations in the world, um, will hire out other companies sometimes to do their e-learning, and that's where a lot of it comes from, and that that's the best place to reach out. However, production companies sometimes do get this work, as well as you know finding things 
um, on pay-to-play sites. You know, there's a lot of e-learning that goes on there, too. Um, you know, there's just a few places. It's not a one-stop shop for finding the work. You know, a lot of genres are or can be. You know, typically most of the work would come through an agent or whatever. In this case, there are so many avenues to finding e-learning. Um, you know, I, I know LinkedIn is one of the biggest places that a lot of people go to connect with creators of e-learning because that's where they tend to be a lot. And that's wonderful. Same with Twitter. But I think, you know, reaching out to the companies directly, pay-to-play sites do have a, a fair amount. I did something this morning for something I had gotten off of a pay-to-play site. Um, you know, so it just depends on, you know, I think you don't put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to finding e-learning work. Have you noticed any trends with in the e-learning space? I know in commercial, to a degree, there's a lot of startup companies now and I've read several different articles that talk about this, that are moving everything in-house. And so where it used to be that, you know, the company would just do what the company did, and then they'd hire an ad agency or a creative agency or whatever, and there's all these extra cogs in the wheels, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now they're moving some of that stuff in-house just to make it easier. Are you seeing that at all with e-learning, where there's more opportunities if you do go directly to a larger company and you contact the right person? I definitely see that being the case, because I think... A lot of companies are trying to figure out ways to trim the fat, as it were, because, you know, once the pandemic happened, and I think this it was moving this way beforehand, too, sometimes people would get overwhelmed because they were already cutting out the number of people in their company. And so sometimes they would get rid of the training and development area, and then they would have to farm it out. But I think now that's starting to change a little bit, and they're kind of re reworking their vision of, okay, we I know we don't have as many people, but we have to do what we can with the people that we have. And so either the HR department and or, you know, they're reconstituting a training and development company, you know, a portion of their company. And that's who they're using to, do, you know, find the work and do the work. And then those are the people that are reaching out and saying, yeah, we, we need we need to hire somebody to do our voiceover. We need someone to hire, to hire someone to do better graphics or videos that are going to be embedded in the training we're creating. So, yeah, I think there definitely is some internal work that is starting to build because I think companies are looking at ways to, well, we don't want to pay another company and their commission because we have to keep it all in-house. So yeah, I'm seeing a little bit of that trend. But then again, some of the companies that I work for and have been for years are getting some serious heavy-hitting clients still coming to them and wanting them to do the work because they just don't want to have that in-house expense anymore. So it's, it's a, I'm seeing a little bit of both, but yeah. There is a trend towards reaching out to companies directly because their people are starting to do that work more. It's interesting to see where that is going to go or if it goes anywhere in the e-learning space. I've seen it mm -hmm. to a degree, but bringing your commercial creative in-house and bringing your full-blown course design for all of the various and assorted topics of training that you have to cover within a given company, you know, bringing all of that in-house, a little bit of a different story. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it depends on the, the larger the company. I think there is um, definitely a chance to have multiple avenues of it because there's one very large corporation that I work for that I do their code of conduct every year through a e-learning production company. But yet I also do some internal training for them in-house, you know, in-house directly with the company itself. So, I mean, you know, it's the same company, but... I'm getting the work from two different sources, you know, and it depends on what it is within that company. Because again, you know, there's so many arms and so many areas of that company that they just, you know, they, they're doing different things for different avenues and different departments. So yeah, that it is kind of an interesting 
interesting way to look at it. It's like, wait, the same client, different people I'm dealing with and totally different aspects. Wait a minute, who, which one is this now? You know, sometimes the projects overlap and you have to remember where you are. So yeah, that's Who's definitely what a change. And where. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I know a lot of us, when we're looking for this kind of work, we, we tend to look for instructional designers. That's the job mm-hmm. title that gets thrown around the most. But I don't know that that's necessarily the, the be-all, end-all strategy, only in that instructional designers can do a lot of different things. And, and a lot of those don't have anything to do with voiceover. So are there things that we can be doing to better vet leads so that we're not wasting our time and their time contacting people that maybe don't need us. So it's it's not just as simple as, oh, just do a search for instructional designers and email them all. Yeah. You know, that's a really great question. And I'm, let me think about the best way to answer this. Um, you know, I think in, in, in many ways, it's not just instructional design that's needing this anymore, because I think there's a different focus. Video is becoming so powerful that most people seem to want to and, and are attracted to video for learning now. That even though, you know, the, the people who do, the instructional designers who do stir, study learning theory and adult learning, which is, you know, the, the basics behind making the learning that's going to stick and change the behaviors of the people in their company. But video is becoming such a big thing now. I think they're kind of changing their focus sometimes to make it, to make that learning theory that they've learned stick. They're then going to video creators and content creators and production companies and other people to make some different styles of learning to see what might be working. You know, okay, we've done it this, you know, we've done it the traditional way for many years. Maybe that's not how we need to do it anymore. Let's add a whole bunch of video to it. Or, you know, we're changing things up now. And I hear that a lot. We're going to change things up and we're going to do something a little different. Can you do this instead? Or do you know anybody who can do this? And so, yeah, I think there's maybe some opportunities to reach out to video production companies and other larger maybe even the video creators and content creators, that's another title that I've seen every now and then, that are related to other areas of the business that then kind of bleed into that traditional learning environment. Um, Because a lot of big companies have a video coordinator or content creator or director or producer or somebody like that, maybe even a creative producer on staff. Um, if, you know, especially if they're a much larger corporation, because there's other video things that are going on that may not be something that we would necessarily narrate, but that person exists. And they're the person that the company is going to come to when this new style of learning is suggested. And I think there's opportunity there for us to get in front of them. And it may take a while for them to actually have a project for us to work on. But if they already know that we're kind of in their, you know, wheelhouse and we're kind of in their face and saying, hey, we're here if you ever need us for anything, you're going to be contacted eventually. Of course, it, you know, that doesn't pay the rent or the mortgage, but you know, <laughs> it is definitely something to people to think in terms of reaching out to because that's where I think the opportunity is, is coming from in e-learning more often now. It's nice to know that we're moving beyond the the death by PowerPoint phase of e-learning because I think I hope so. At some point, we have all had to sit through that, and, yeah. and it would be nice to to move into something that is a little bit more creative and evolved. So, you mentioned video content creators, video creators. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things that I always look for is if I can find an instructional designer that also maybe mentions multimedia or something like that in their profile. Maybe that's somebody that I want to be connecting with. 
let's do like family feud style here. And, you know, the top 10 <laughs> answers are on the board. What are some other job titles that we could potentially be looking out Ooh. for? Like, are there are there ones that you see that that seem to do better than others or ones that you think that might be worth reaching out to as opposed to like just video producer or instructional designer? I think content creator, media producer, creative coordinator, creative producer. Gosh, anything kind of with producer. I know video production, you know, kind of comes into it in, the, in some ways. But um, gosh, I'm trying to think of it. There was another word I was thinking of learning and development designer. I've seen that title um, from one of my clients. I thought that was an interesting kind of amalgamation of different things. Training coordinator is something I've seen. Oh, goodness. Wish I had thought about this beforehand. I kind of <laughs> gone through and seen some of my connections titles. Um, it's but good, those are though. some of the people I'd think about. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good list. And and I mean again with any of this stuff, there's a level of vetting that is involved in this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, on, on the fire department, we had a training officer, and so if somebody was just looking for training, they would find the training officer and reach out to the training officer and say, "Hey, do you do voiceover?" Except he doesn't do anything like that, right? And so when you get into learning and development, training coordinator, things of that nature, I think. Coupling that with some of the words that you mentioned earlier, video, content, media, et cetera, you know, so that looking for the the training coordinator that also mentions video or content or media in their profile, as opposed to just blanket titles, because, you know, maybe they create strictly create PowerPoints or they create training manuals, for example, mm -hmm. they're not going to need could. to. So, you know, there's a, there's a level of vetting and a little bit of common sense that needs to go into it. But one of the other things that I found was very interesting was I, I have a instructional designer that I actually do work with, and she had done a survey of her colleagues. And I think she did a survey of a hundred of them. And they're all, for all intents and purposes, they're instructional designers. But right. she asked them what their job title was. And it came back with like 40 some odd different responses. <laughs> And 100 it, people, that's it, a lot. And it, this is a product of, you know, it, this must be like, you know, that we're in the 2020s now and everybody has to have a special and unique job title so that we, we can all feel special and unique or something. But it makes it really difficult from a voiceover standpoint when you're trying to figure out who the heck should I be reaching out to or who are the people that I need to be connecting with. So, yeah, I mean, instructional designer is kind of the, you know, the, the number one. I mean, that you know, Family Feud, that would be your number one. But everything underneath that is is very valid. And there's so many different interesting titles that people do come up with because they I think people are being tasked with more jobs now. And, you know, instructional design is one small piece of the pie that they have are their task to do. And so they may not call themselves an instructional designer because they may just not even really have a title. They just may be in the learning and development department yep. because they're tasked with so many different things. And, you know, some of which they might use voiceover every now and then. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it's definitely a valid thought that, you know, people come up with a lot of different titles because they're doing a lot of different jobs. Absolutely. <laughs> So let's shift gears from the marketing side. We know that we, okay. we've got it. We've got a good idea of where we're looking now for some of this stuff. So let's talk about quoting because that's always super fun in e-learning. <laughs> we've got per finished hour, per finished minute, per word. So there's a lot of different ways that this can be done. Is one way better than another? Is there one that you prefer? Should we have a pretty good idea of how to do all three in case the client asks for something specific? What are your thoughts on that side of it? When it comes to quoting, I get asked this question a lot. I, I prefer, there are two different ways that I like to work on it. 
per finished minute or per word. But, you know, you need to be you know, per finished hour, too, just in case that comes up. And so, yeah, you need to know all of these, mainly because I like to think of it as how does my client approach me? If they come to me and say, I've got a 10,000-word script, then chances are that might be the better way to quote because they're already thinking in terms of word. If they come to me and say, yeah, we've got about a 30-minute module or and two 20-minute modules, well, they're thinking in terms of finished time. So I probably would quote that in, you know, in the per finished minute area. But it does, you know, I think it's best to know your options for both. Um, there are good things and bad things to both as well. But I think you need to have a rate card that states both and or and you know what your rates are so that you can quote either one. Um, don't quote both in one quote, though, however, because that gets confusing and they'll be like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> uh, pick one and stick with it. Um, you can always ask first if you're not sure. You know, just maybe say when you've worked with other voice actors in the past, do they, you know, or how do you prefer to quote per word or per finished minute before? Kind of, it's kind of like asking the question of, you know, what's in your budget? Um, but, you know, there is a reason to ask that if they are not sure or if you've never worked with them before. Because typically, I think in some cases per word, you end up making a little bit more um, depending on how many words are in there and everything. But sometimes that's more work to do. And especially if they know and they've told you up front or you've discussed it with them and you find that they're going to have a lot of revisions and it may be a sentence or two here and there, counting, you know, a seven-word sentence and then having to bill again for that is a real pain. You know, you have to come up with your minimums yep. and that type of thing. But, you know, sometimes that's really nitpicky and it's just easier to do a per-finished minute, but it just depends. And I think... It's that's kind of the hard answer is, well, it depends. You know, it's not the sexy answer and nobody really wants to hear that, but it really is. It, it, there are two schools of thought on it. I know a lot of people who say I will never do anything but other than per word. That's it. It's just it's per word. And they might have then minimums when it comes to revisions. And that's good. Um, other people are like, well, I like to do whatever my client likes. And that's kind of where I fall is I do whatever my client likes. I have lots of clients I do per word. And I have other clients that I do per finished minute. Um, I think per finished minute is easier and quicker to calculate <laughs> per word. Um, and I know you enjoyed hearing me talk about this at one of the VO Atlantas one year. Per word can sometimes be confusing. And, you know, if you give them a direct quote that says, oh, your script is 10,387 words, and you haven't actually really looked through it all, and you haven't actually gone through to make sure that that truly is the word count, then you know, you might be leaving money on the table. So, you know, when you're quoting, it's always nice to use qualifying words like around and about and approximately X number of words. And that might change once I go through it, that kind of thing, because you can leave money on the table with a per word model if you're not careful. Different numbers and hyphenated words and sl words with slashes and that kind of thing. Microsoft Word itself does not always count those as the separate words that we say. So you have to be careful. There is a, a word counting app out there now, uh, a website out there called Real Count that I think a, voice, a couple of voice actors created. Um, and you can you know cut and paste your script into it. and It'll give you the real word count because it breaks things down. What a brilliant um, tool. Yeah, it's a brilliant tool because it just helps you do that much faster. Because if you have, you know, any kind of phone number or any kind of set of numbers, you know, 21 even, just two and one, that, that's two words. Right. Um, simple things. So, you know, you want to make sure if you are charging per word that you're charging everything, you know, that you need to be. So sometimes I think doing per word 
may take a little more work. And depends on if I'm really busy or not. Or, you know, and sometimes I also do, if nobody, if they don't care how I charge it, I will do a calculation. What's easier? Or what, what am I going to make more money doing? Per word or per finished minute? And if it's also one of those things that I don't think it's going to have a lot of revisions, or even if it has a few revisions and they seem okay with a revision policy and a minimum on revisions, then I'll charge them per word because I'm going to make more money. It is one of those things that you have to figure out the best way to work with you and your client, however they're going to feel most comfortable. See, for me, I've always liked quoting per word because, and, and I'm sure you've run into this too, when the client comes to you and says, oh, we've got, a, we've got a module that's approximately 30 minutes. But then when you get the script and you look at it, you're like, yeah, this is a 47-minute <laughs> module, right? Yeah. And so you've given them a quote now of approximately, you know, they said mm-hmm. approximately 30 minutes, so I quote them approximately 30 finished minutes. Right. But then when it comes back to be actually 40-some-odd minutes, the number goes so much higher, right? And it, mm-hmm. it startles them. Whereas if I just say, how many words? Yeah. Then it seems like we always come out relatively close, but the other side of the psychology behind the, for me behind it too, is, you know, if you quote per finished hour, well, with e-learning, you know, 2,500 per finished hour is not out of the question. Mm-hmm. Try dropping that number on a client who wasn't prepared for it. You make $2,500 yeah. an hour. What are you, and, right? And so yeah. there's a psychological component to it as well, but calculating it is so important. So I'm curious, I've always just ballparked. All right, mm-hmm. ten thousand words is a is a finished hour. You know, a hundred and fifty min, hundred and fifty words a minute ballpark for calculating some of this. Is that what are the numbers that you're using to calculate based on per finished hour and, and per finished word? Is it similar to that? Yeah, per finished minute. Um, yeah, it's, it, typically I take the the word count that I'm given. You know, just in word, and that may include a whole bunch of other direction stuff. And you know, just it, it, again, it's an approximation. And I'll use that word count just for approximating purposes, not for billing purposes. Yep. <laughs> and I divide that by 150 because that's, you know, generally what we, you know, speak. Sometimes I will get a client who says we need this script to be, you know, read a lot slower than you're used to because it's for maybe people who aren't who don't speak English as their first language. Others are like, well, we need this to be really, you know, really a quicker pace. So I may change that. But typically divide it by 150 and come up with, an, you know, a round number of, like I did one this morning and it was going to be 17.9, you know, minutes. It was like, okay, that's 18 minutes, you know, and I'll give them the approximation. You know, it's going to cost you X number of dollars. And so it depends on really where, I think it's, it's again, it's round numbers, you know, yep. and generally I come out pretty close. Um, words can sometimes be deceiving. You know, if I do per word, sometimes if I see a, I take a quick, glance at the script if we haven't started working together before and I notice a lot of acronyms and a lot of other things that I'm that might shock them because if they come to me and say I've got a script that's around 2537 words because I've had a client do this before so you know it's 2537 words and once I looked at it and all the acronyms and all the dashes and other things that they had in there and the fo- and the numbers I was like, actually, your script is more like around 3,200 words. Therefore, the, you know, it's, you know, the rate is going to be X. And it was, you know, 100 and something more than they were expecting. And they yeah. kind of got a little upset. And I had to explain to them why. And they're like, okay, we, you know, they got it. And it was fine. But their numbers, you know, versus the reality were a little different. But yep. And they were fine after that. So, yeah, that, that can be an issue. <laughs> Which is, and that's one of the things with e-learning. I think anybody that's going to do this type of work, you've got to be prepared to have those conversations. And, mm-hmm. and a part of part of quoting is just the educational process. But yeah, I've always figured, you know, ballpark 10,000 words in an hour, you know, ballpark 150 words in a minute. If you look at 
25 cents a word means that it's about 2,500 per finished hour, which works out to like 40 bucks or $41 per finished minute or something mm-hmm. like that. So there's easy ways to to do all of the calculations to ultimately figure it out. But it's important that you know how to do it. I, I mean, most of my regular clients we do per word now, but mm-hmm. every once in a while somebody asks for something different and you've got to be able to figure the numbers out, right? It's, it's important to be Absolutely. able to provide it. Absolutely. And, you know, there's also a sliding scale. That, that Something else that's important. Normally when you get to a certain number of words per module, you know, you know, and per project, there's a sliding scale if it's going to be a really, really large, long project because that's basically considered the bulk discount. Um, you know, but of course you have to make sure and make clear that when you're quoting them this, this is per script. It's not per project because they're like, oh, well, we've got seven modules. Now, they're going to give you those seven modules over six months, and they're expecting that, you know, bulk discount. It's like, no, at one time, I'm willing to give you a bulk discount. You know, it's not like we're going to spread that out over, you know, six months worth of your project. No, because, you know, every time I go in the booth, it's, you know, if I can be in the booth for a lot longer and it's one project, then yes, I will give you a bulk discount. And there's a sliding scale. It's like, you know, your normal rate is, let's say, 27 cents a word, and then it drops down to like 19 cents if you have X number of words, and then down to maybe, you know, 15 cents at the lowest for your, you know, over 100,000 words or more, you know, that kind of thing. And it is nice to have a sliding scale too. But, you know, I think coming up with a rate sheet that you are comfortable with that says, this is what it's going to be per finished hour. This is, you know, my per finished minute rate with a minimum of, because a lot of times now, the other thing that's happening in e-learning is modules are getting much shorter. There may be more of them and, you know, don't get excited. Don't always get excited when they say, we've got 10 modules. Those 10 modules may only be 20 minutes total because they're breaking them down into this one's two minutes, this one's five minutes, this one's four minutes, this one's seven. You know, so when it all adds up, you've really only done 30 minutes worth of work. So you do have to have a minimum and then, you know, your per word rate and everything else. Um, So, you know, have a really good rate sheet that includes everything, every permutation, because you don't want to quote them um, 27 cents a word, let's say. And you find and they're like, okay, great. And then they send you a, it's 250 words. And you're like, um, yeah, so yes. <laughs> I have a minimum. <laughs> then you have to have yeah. the awkward conversation. Yes, exactly. Because that has happened before to, yep. to some of my students and to, you know, and when, well, actually when I first started out, I was like, yeah, that, that's not going to work. I'm not going to do this for $14.33 or whatever it worked yep. out to. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so important to have that written in. And one of the things, you know, talking about the sliding scale, one of the things that I will do too, when I do offer bulk discounts, I actually, when I invoice, I put the invoice, I put the number at whatever my regular rate is. And then mm-hmm. I show the discount as a secondary line item. That's just a great idea. So that, you know, down the road, they don't come back and say, well, this invoice had, you know, this per word rate or whatever. I'm like, okay, but remember that was a discount. The discount was shown on the invoice. And so it's just one of those things to, you know, cover my butt. So that's a great way to do it too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do that all the time for like nonprofit people who are, you know, working on a budget or whatever. And they're yep. like, well, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I'll, I will, quote the regular rate and then, you know, nonprofit or whatever discount and then put the rate that they're going to be charged. And because I've had some of those clients come back to me and actually when they didn't have a nonprofit client um, or they had more in their budget, they paid me the regular rate again because they knew that's what it was. So yep. that can work for your in your favor. So, yeah, that's a great thing to do. Absolutely. 
What aspect of marketing do you struggle with the most? What's the one that causes you the most stress, the most anxiety? Is it getting on LinkedIn? Is it using other forms of social media? Do you struggle with email marketing? Is it just the concept of marketing in general? Maybe you only know how to find work on casting sites or through agents. And so this is an area that is completely new and foreign to you. Whatever it is, I want to be able to help you. I offer a number of different resources on my website that are designed to help you with the business and marketing side of voiceover, from video courses to private coaching. And in private coaching, we can talk about anything business and marketing related. You bring your questions, I give you answers. You can see everything that I have available at markscottcoaching.com. You can even book a free 15-minute consult with me. We can talk about your specific needs and whether or not there's something I can do to help you. Check out the website at markscottcoaching.com. That's M-A-R-C-S-C-O-T-T coaching.com. Markscottcoaching.com. Now back to our show. So we talked a little bit about shorter modules as, mm-hmm. as, as a trend that we're seeing, which I am yes. 100%. I've noticed that as well, which yeah. in some senses, it makes it nice because I would rather go into the booth and record a whole bunch of five minute videos than go into the booth and just sit down and record like a, a one hour. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like just that straight oh, yeah. one hour just feels like a slog. But if you break it oh, up into yes. a bunch of five minute modules, I'm like, ah, this isn't so bad. So shorter trends is uh, shorty modules is definitely a trend. Are there any other trends that you're seeing in the e-learning space right now? Very much conversational stuff and a lot of role play, um, a lot of, you know, scenario based things, I guess you could say, um, where you're, you know, playing a character or you, you've you you've been given a name. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so instead of just, you know, voiceover or it doesn't even have anything on it, it's just, you know, read this sound part, you know, the audio part. You know? Now <laughs> like they're like creating a, lot... a full-blown yeah. avatar for you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, you get to start off with, hi, I'm Eileen. I'll be guiding you through this training today. And it's like, oh, I'm Eileen today. All right, great. Get in the booth and be whatever, you know? Yep. <laughs> but um, I've, I've noticed that a little bit more um, just from the, you know, the sake that I think people learn better through examples. And I think that's always uh, the case. And so, I mean, I know this has been going on for a while, but I have noticed it a little bit more lately that I've been getting a few more of those types of jobs, yep. you know, where I play a character, even if it's just a short you know, one or two sentences. And sometimes my clients will say, how many different voices can you do? We've got like three different characters and we really don't want to hire, you know, especially since it's only like one line or two, because they just need that one line. And, you know, that's where you're accommodating and you, you know, add it in. But yeah, I mean, I've noticed that a little bit. And um, that's I've when I call a- my wife. I need you to come into the booth and record a line for me. Can you come down and record a line for me? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because I don't know how, how good your female voice there, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So, well, this is interesting because I, I'm with you with the role playing and all of that sort of stuff. So have you mm-hmm. been in a situation yet where you've been asked to assist with casting or even do management of yes. getting multiple voices together? Because that's something that I'm starting to see and, and hear a little bit more about as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's been many times where my clients will say, hey, we only have like two or three lines for different characters because we're, you know, we want you to be the main narrator or we want you to play, you know, this character who has a pretty good chunk of space. But we also have another person that, you know, you're going to be splitting the narration duties with. So we and we want to hire, you know, an opposite sex person for that. You know, we'll just say you'll be hired to do one half of the narration and the other person's doing the other half because they're switching back and forth between two people. So they want you to coordinate that and or recommend somebody. That happens a lot. Um, Also, just, you know, recommending a a 
large group of people who may have different accents or ages or ethnicities or, you know, whatever it is that then they ask you to help find all those actors, especially if it's shorter amounts of recording to be done. They don't necessarily want to go out and have to start this huge hiring process. And it also depends on the company. If the company itself has a kind of a larger onboarding process and paying people can be sometimes a challenge, they might reach out to me and ask, hey, can you help coordinate this and we'll pay you and you can pay all the actors? Now, there are there's good parts and bad parts to that. But Absolutely. yeah, I am seeing that a lot. And since I was a producer and production coordinator for many years, to me, I'm just, I jump right on board that. I'm like, yeah, I got that. You know, I'll charge a management fee um, plus my fee to do my voiceover job that I would have been doing with them regardless. Um, and then there's, you know, the coordination aspect of working with the talent, casting them and then communicating with the talent and getting all their invoices and paying them and, you know, getting W-9s and, you know, making sure you get all that stuff if you're tax paperwork here in the U.S. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I have friends that some are in Canada that get cast and some that are, you know, in the U.K. and other, you know, other places around the world. And, you know, so I have to do what I have to do to make sure I've got all the paperwork that's necessary for everyone. Um, but, yeah, that's something that is definitely happening. Um, several of my clients just don't want to go anywhere else. Other times I've had one client that needed me to refer, I think, about six or seven different actors, and I gave them a large amount of people. They hired three or four of them. I, they did not pick me for that one, and that was okay. I was still able to refer them. And, you know, they like to do things their own because they have very strict standards, you know, yep. as far as onboarding. And, you know, they also just – the client they were working with had – you know, special paperwork and stuff they had to deal with the people on. So that one was just kind of out of my hands, but I was able to refer them. And they actually sent me, a, you know, a nice thank you and a little gift, you know, for helping coordinate that, even though I didn't get paid anything and I didn't take on the job myself. But they recognized that I was able to be a resource for them. So, yeah, that is something that is happening out there. And it's also something to set yourself apart and to market to potential e-learning Hi, you know, people that will hire you. I was going to say instructional designers, but all those people we talked about before. Yep. <laughs> because it is something, if you can do that for them, and they don't have to do all that work on their own, because they're not going to know where to go. I mean, you know, they, and we don't want them to go to certain places, if you understand my meaning. <laughs> the interesting <laughs> thing about it is that it, it scares a lot of voice actors, but I've always yeah. seen it as something that makes me even more valuable. Exactly. It's, right? a, it's a value add. We, we think that, well, no, if I give them the names of other voice actors, I'm literally sending them to my competition. My whole thing is if you are willing to do that, you have just proven how much more valuable you are to the client. It's only going to make them more loyal to you. Exactly. That's always, always been my worked experience. out in my favor. Yeah, me yeah. too. I have I've never really lost a client to somebody else. Now, have have those other talent after they finish that job maybe been contacted by that client and I don't know it? Yes, and that's okay because Either they, they want my, me and what I can do for their project on it, and they're going to contact me, or they're not because they need something different and they need, you know, especially, you know, in the case of they need a male instead of a female. Well, I can't do the male part. So, yeah. of course, they're going to contact somebody else that's not me for that need when they have it. When they need a female, they'll hopefully come back to me, and most of the time they always have. I don't think I've ever lost a client to anybody, you know, because of that. I'd rather refer my friends and them get the work, too, for something that I can't do. You know, I, I, I really enjoy being the person that my clients come to. I mean, I've had multiple clients come back to me and say, hey, Christy, you recommended so-and-so, but they're not available. Do you have anybody else? Or, 
hey, you know, we've got a project coming up, but it's for a male voice this time, and we're so sorry we can't use you, but, you know, who do you recommend? And I love that. They came yep. to me first, you know? Yep. And that's something so, I started doing years ago was keeping a really extensive list, and I continue to build it. And I don't, I, I hate to say that right now because I know I'm going to get inundated with demos now when this, <laughs> when this episode goes out. But I do keep a list of voice actors, male mm-hmm. and female and different languages and ethnicities and all that sort of stuff, different vocal styles and things mm-hmm. like that. I keep all that in a CRM because I do get clients that ask for that. And I want to be able to just say, hey, yeah, here's five people. Contact any of these and, and they'll be great for you. So it's yeah, exactly. nice to be able to do that. It really is. It really is. So the other big elephant in the room of, of e-learning, I suppose, is AI. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious if it's something that you have started hearing rumbles of or if you've seen anything from clients or if it's something that conversations are starting to come up with. Is Because I think that as a whole, the industry is a lot more afraid of it than they probably need to be at this point. But I'm just curious what your experience has been because I do think that e-learning is one of those genres where AI will ultimately take a foothold. I don't know when, but eventually. Yeah, I think some of it's there now. Um, yeah, AI is definitely a thing and it is out there. Um, I've lost, you know, a couple of smaller jobs to an AI. I can't change the client's mind. If that's how they want to go, that's how they want to go. Now, I don't know, they might not come back to me after they've realized that their training probably wasn't working um, and they have to do it again because nobody in the company really did what they were supposed to because they tuned out of the Yeah, because they didn't actually learn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think that and that takes a long time for people to understand and to measure, you know, when they have to, they come back, you know, maybe even a year later and they're thinking, my goodness, why why are we having to retrain this? Well, because, you know, (laughs) maybe it takes them a while to figure out exactly why, but hopefully they'll come back. Um, I did have one client, like right in, (laughs) December was a horrible month for me. Um, I... I got laryngitis, which is what every voice actor fears. I got laryngitis. Then I went away for Christmas. And then I got COVID. So I had three weeks I was out. And I had a client who I had started a project with and gotten almost all the way done. And I lost my voice. And it was a huge, enormous learning, e-learning module. And it was very technical. It was about cancer. Um, So I was training, I'm training nurses. um, Lots of medical words and all this other kind of stuff. And I had gotten almost all the way through it. And then I got sick and my client was waiting, but they were, they needed to continue on to keep doing, you know, the, the instructional design part of it. So they used an AI system planning to replace it, you know, replace it with me once I came back. And, you know, they will never use the AI, they told me, because it just doesn't work, especially with medical stuff. It just didn't come out right. Um, But yet they were using it as a tool. Luckily, they came back to me, which was great. Um, But, you know, it was that is out there. It is definitely out there. It is something that we I don't think we need to necessarily fear it, but we need to know it's there. Um, I think there are ways to embrace it and or work with it without being necessarily scared of it. (laughs) Um, But do know that it's there. It is something you might run into with clients who say, yeah, well, we only use AI. Okay, well, that's fine. If you ever, you know, get to a point where you are needing a real human or you find your learning needs, you know, that real connection, I'm happy to help you. And not necessarily, you don't want to bash AI, but you want to make sure that you want to make it clear to them that you do have a value as a human. But yeah, AI is definitely something that is that is definitely uh, a part of this industry, and I see it being 
probably taking a little more hold in e-learning than we want it to. But again, I think it may take a little time for them to discover that the AI is not working like they want it to. They may have saved some money, but then they're going to have to respend that money to hire us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've heard a number of different AI voices and, and voice models at this point. And I, I don't know why people get so afraid. Like, honestly, yeah, like to me, we're still, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we're probably at least five years away from where it's actually going to even sound relatively decent. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to use it. You've experienced it. I've experienced yeah, it at this point. Exactly. But I think that a lot of people, a lot of voice actors that are afraid of it are afraid of it, having not even heard it and seeing that, you know, the technology is, it's still it's still very, very, very new, and it's still mm -hmm. going to be a while before we're ready to replace anything. Now, I did lose a job. I don't remember if it was the beginning of January or if it was in, in December. It was a million-dollar voiceover job. Uh, oh, what? <laughs> okay. Wow. No, here's Kudos. why. Here's why. <laughs> because the, this this client came to me with the like the most obnoxious e-learning request ever, like hundreds and hundreds of hours of content that if you oh, quoted well, out, yeah, if okay. you quoted it out per word, it literally right. came out to like a million dollar job. Oh and goodness. they needed it delivered in like a month and a half. And I'm like, like I literally sat down and did the math for them. I'm like, do you understand that if I recorded for yeah, 24 hours, hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week, it would still take me three months of 24 oh seven gosh. recording. And so then they're like, okay, don't worry about it. We're going to use AI. I'm like, all right, that's probably, you know what, this time, yeah. this, this time it's not going to hurt my feelings. It, 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 yeah. In that <laughs> case, maybe that's, that's yeah. best, but it, yeah, it, holy it'll, cow. It'll be all right. Yeah, uh, but it just sounds, it's one of those things you're like, but you lost out a million dollar job to an AI? Is yeah. It, yeah, yeah, actually, yes, if, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, Happily, uh, yes, I did. <laughs> so now you mentioned about medical words, technical mm -hmm. words and stuff like that, and, and that being an area where AI does tend to fall short. I'm curious about, and I've, I've been, I was asked to ask you this question, actually. Okay. When it comes to pronunciation for some of the more technical stuff, medical narration, 16 syllable words, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> Do you have any go-to resources that you use? Are there websites that you land on? I'm always leery of like, you know, I'll punch something up on YouTube or uh, what is it? Forvo is one of the ones that I've looked at. Yeah, yeah. yeah for VO. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I'm, I use those because sometimes it's all I can find. Sometimes I'm literally feeling like I have no idea if this is actually correct or not, but a pronunciation, I suppose, is better than no pronunciation. But are there ones that you that you turn to more often or that you've found to be more reliable? Um, Merriam-Webster is one of my go-tos, especially when it comes to medical stuff. However, sometimes I find that my uh, clients, especially depending on the client when it comes to medical, um, they send me a lot of YouTube links to medical conferences and or people saying things because this one particular client that I have that I do a lot of medical stuff for they say that, you know, Merriam-Webster is very precise. It's very technical. They don't really slur the words. But supposedly in the medical field, they they get very um, casual with things, you know, where there's a, a special, you know, where there's an O. It's never said as an O or whatever. <laughs> they just kind of slur all their words together. It's, and It's, it's more conversational. Casual. It's more, way, way more conversational. So when you listen to it on Merriam-Webster, because the first time I was like, well, I looked all these words up and I listed, you know, multiple places. And they're like, yeah, that's the formal stuff. We use the informal. Can you just slur those words together? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So you never know. Um, yes. <laughs> but then, I, then I've then i had some other clients, because especially with this 
this one client who I've had for a year now or two years now, and I've got many more. They have a module every month, and they're very long and very large, and I've pretty much said a lot of medical words at this point. And I had another client come up with a very similar topic, and so I was using the same pronunciation and style that, you know, my other previous client had liked, and they're like, yeah, um, we need these words to be a little more pronounced. And I'm like, oh, God, okay, here we go. You know, <laughs> so you never know. <laughs> so I think it's client dependent. But Merriam-Webster is a good one for me. I did find drugs.com, which, yes, yes, kids, go to drugs.com. Um, <laughs> but it is one oh, of those I'm totally getting does. sued for that. <laughs> I know. But it is one of those places that there is this website that talks about different, you know, pharmaceutical We'll call them pharmaceutical creations um, that, you know, tell you what they are and everything else. So, you know, if a doctor prescribes something to you, you can look it up and find out what that, you know, what that does or any articles that are out there about it. And many times they will actually have, not all the time, though, they will have a pronunciation of what that drug is, what that drug name is. So that way you can hear that as well, because those are the ones that normally trip most people up. A lot of other things can be found online in other ways. But, you know, these new drug names and things are very, (laughs) very unique. They have a, you know, reason in why they're naming them those ways. And but, you know, they they're words that don't exist in other ways. So you do very few places to go find them. (laughs) They take three letters from every member of their family tree going back a hundred years and they combine them all together. And then there we go. We have a drug name. We have a drug name. Yeah. So there's like certain weird ways that, you know, so certain things like that, that may be not out there in the, you know, normal vernacular very often, or, you know, going to appear in Merriam-Webster because it's not something that would appear in Merriam-Webster. You know, those are the kinds of things that I found. But yeah, there are, I, I will say YouTube is still very um, useful in many ways. You know, it just depends on finding the right one. And sometimes I'll have, I'll find two or three different sources just to see how, you know, how many different people are saying it. And, you know, what's the consensus? You know, it's like, okay, three out of four of these people all said it this way. I'm going to go with that. that, Yeah. I mean, but it, yeah, you do have to be careful with that. I mean, I've had instances where it's like, well, here's the link and here's the other link. And in fact, I had that the client I was talking about that over Christmas, right before I got sick, we had to go back and find, I had to redo a whole bunch of it because there are, the client sent me the links on how to say something. And then as they were reviewing it, they came back with, you know what, we're going to use a totally different pronunciation because we think this is what most people are using. And it, it just wasn't even the same. And I'm like, okay, I don't care. I'll redo it. That's, you know, yep. you guys are paying me more. Um, but yeah, they, they decided to change their pronunciation on something. And, and, and she's like, I don't know, if, because this client's based in Texas. She said, I don't know if it's a Texas thing or not, but we're going to go with this alternate pronunciation. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a Texas clients, thing. <laughs> yeah. Got to yeah, stand out. Exactly. Now, let's clear up what I think is a very common misconception, and I think you kind of just did it. But I see when it comes to pronunciations, one of the things that I see all the time is voice actors posting in voiceover groups saying, how do you pronounce these words? And I will always respond, what if you asked the client instead of asking a bunch of voice actors who know nothing no about kidding. the script. And they're always afraid to ask the client. And I don't oh. understand why, because it's like there's this myth out there that if we don't know how to pronounce the words and we admit it, they're going to fire us and hire somebody else or something. So as somebody who does a lot of this, who does a lot of technical, a lot of medical, have you ever been fired because you didn't know how to pronounce a word and you asked a client? Nope. 
I've Thank had you. more people praise me for it yes. because I will come back and look at the script and say, hey, I, I notice a lot of acronyms. And, you know, I, I notice on your script it has a pronunciation column, but there are a couple of things that aren't listed there. Do you mind telling me before I start recording how to say this, 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 and this, you know, and, and my, you know, and slide number whatever. Um, I just want to make sure I get it right. And sometimes, you know, they come back and they're like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Or, yeah, and don't forget it. Industry-wise, we say it this way and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, sometimes I've sent them links to say, hey, is this the correct way you want this said? And other times they're, you know, they're like, no, that's not how we say it. In our industry, we say it this way. But, yeah, no one has ever gotten mad at me for asking how to pronounce something. They would much rather me ask beforehand than have to redo it later. And then, you know, especially depending on who they're going to show it to or, ha or have listen to it, you know, because especially if they're on a tight deadline and they just, you know, put your audio in there and then they start, you know, they don't even really listen to it and they just drop your audio in and then they start doing testing. If somebody that is higher up hears it, then they're going to think, well, okay, you hired the wrong person. Are you an idiot for not getting a good voice actor who can you know, who can do this stuff, or you didn't tell the voice actor how to say this, so you don't want to make your client look bad to maybe reviewers, yeah. you know, so you want to get the, the pronunciations right as soon as you can. And if it's, you know, sometimes we deal with people who are in different countries, and maybe there's a time difference. So if that's the case, and you really need for your own schedule and maybe for theirs to record, try, you know, do your best to look it up, but record it when you're recording originally as many ways as possible. Yep. Go ahead and give as many options in your very first recording and just save them in a separate file called alternates or something, you know, yep. if you have to. Done that um, many that times. way you've got it. So that way when you do get the answer, you can either cut and paste the right one in or or congratulate yourself for guessing right to begin with, you know. Yep. And then you just move on and you can deliver it much faster. Um, that yeah, but you'll you will never be wrong for asking a client. If the client fires you for asking that question, they're probably not a client you wanted to be working with in the first place. And this is the thing. I don't think it's ever happened in the history of the industry. But for some reason, voice actors have this weird perception that they just were expected to know how to pronounce every word. And if we don't, you know, we're going to lose the gig. And the irony of it is that by asking in a voiceover group and, you know, getting the collective opinions of 100 different voice actors and then going and recording it wrong, that's actually more likely to get you in trouble than if you just went back to the client and said, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this. Can you help me? with this or whatever. Yeah. Like I've done in the past working with clients overseas, I've made a list of words and said, can you send me pronunciations for these? And they'll just record them for me. Exactly. Me or too. I will get on a, a phone call or a Zoom call and I will ask them about the words and I will record that session. And so I will get them to say it. I will repeat it back to make sure I'm saying it right. And now I have an audio reference that I can go back and refer to because if, you know, it's one thing to have somebody tell you how to pronounce it, but six hours later when you're in the booth, you're never going to remember, right? And so exactly. now I have an audio file that I can go back and listen to. But there's so many ways around it, but it's always the right decision to just go to the source. It is. And I will, uh, another thing that you can do, too, is, you know, make sure you're asking the client in a nice way. That is making it feel like, you know, you're going to make them the hero. I yeah. think that's one of the ways to do it. And, you know, there are simple words, too, that everyone knows. Everyone pretty much has an idea of how to say the word data or data, you know, D-A-T-A. -A. Yep. It's like, well, but is it data or data? You know, who is the audience, Canadian or American? Is it process or process? Yep. You know, those are certain questions. And, you know, even dates. Do you want 2020? Do you want 2020? Yep. You know, there are certain things that I go ahead and ask 
you know, no one's going to f- blame me or saying, well, you're an idiot for asking how to say a year. Yep. No, they, you know, I'm going to get it right based on your company's parameters because I have some companies that are very, very specific about how they want the words, you know, the word data or data said. Yep. Others that are very specific about how they want years read because a multiple, you know, a lot of their modules have years from, you know, it's, it's always going to be 1989. So therefore they want even, you know, 2020. They don't want you know, 2020. Yep. So they, they want things to be consistent. And so when you ask those questions, you're actually seen as more professional. Yes. 100%. Yeah. So don't be afraid to ask those questions at all. Yeah, that's a good one. I, phone numbers, dates, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Is it 555-5555 or is it 555-5555, right? Exactly. Stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that a big part of marketing is showing your buyers how you can solve problems for them. And how you can add value to the work. Voice actors talk about things like speed of delivery, quality of audio, remote direction capabilities, and all of that sort of stuff. Are there any pain points that you have found that are specific to the e-learning space? So things that we could talk to when we're, you know, reaching out to that instructional designer that really shows that we understand the work that they're doing and how we can help make their job easier? Oh, good question. Let me think. How, I mean, a lot of the things you said, definitely speed of delivery is one thing, mainly because we kind of fall towards the end of their process. And by the time they're ready to go, you know, they kind of want us to, they might be waiting on us a little bit to get into testing because then they know there's going to be changes and stuff, but they've got to get it into testing as quickly as they can. So I think, you know, under-promising and over-delivering, you know, quickly, doing things very quickly is definitely something I've noticed that a lot of my clients are very excited about. They're like, wow, you got this to us so quickly. We're so excited. Or, you know, because they'll say, hey, can I get this in two weeks? And I'm looking at it. It's like a page and a half. I can have it for you in 30 minutes, you know? Yes. (laughs) Um, Those kinds of things. But you have to be careful with that so you don't deliver so fast that the next time they have a, you know, a 30-page script instead of a a one-and-a-half-page script, they're not expecting it in an hour and a half. Yep. But um, I think that definitely... Getting things, acknowledging that their process, that you understand their deadline and their process is something that is is good, um, and also just understanding that there are, I guess, understanding their process and knowing that they have other things to do and, and that there will be revisions and you know asking them about their revision policy and you know acknowledging that there are going to be other cooks in the kitchen besides themselves. So that's a lot of times what we we think of just who our client is. Well, they have clients too. You know, they're answering to other people. They're answering to possibly reviewers. They're answering to higher ups in their company. You know, the learners themselves. And there are going to be lots of other opinions that come down from what they've created that you're a small piece of. And I think as long as they know that you you understand what they have to go through and their process and where you fall within it is very important. So being able to, you know, know where you fall in their world, as well as the speed of which you can deliver. And also what we talked about before, offering project management, which also speeds their process along, are definitely value adds that we need to be considering. And also, you know, if you happen to, you know, if you've ever studied learning theory, or let's say even in general, maybe the topic itself if you happen to have some connection to that particular topic because maybe you are reaching out to people in a certain industry because of your background. Maybe you you know, you know, were a banker for a long time and you're reaching out to people who create banking or you're reaching out straight to the source and banks. You know, Letting them know that you understand their world 
and maybe what their subject matter experts are thinking and, you know, why they may be thinking that is also goes a long way to maybe relieving a lot of tension on their part. 100%. Because they're going to know you get it. Yep. I mean, that's one of my longest running clients is a, is a client that creates firefighter training videos. And I booked it on a well, casting site a decade ago. And that was why. It, it, right. I, I was a firefighter at the time. I lived it. I breathed it. So they knew that they did not ever have to worry about me knowing how to properly deliver that content. And it makes a big difference. It really does. If you have some connection to what, you know, the content is, I think letting them know that and or them understanding that you have a either a personal connection in some way, shape or form, either through, you know, your personal experience, a family member's experience or whatever it is, that really helps them understand that you're going to be just as invested and interested in this content. Because, you know, so many clients will approach us, especially when it comes to e-learning going, yeah, I got another really boring, long thing for you here. This is just dry as paint, you know, just like, (laughs) it's horrible. We don't want, you know, we know I'm sorry to do this to you, but can you get this to us in a couple of days? And, you know, if you come back with the, you know, basically saying something along the lines of this is just as important to you as anything else going on in your world, and it's not boring, it's not dry, you know, I'm happy to work on this for you and, and give them a sense that you're you're not looking at it the same way they are. You're looking at it as something that's interesting and, you know, you're going to give your absolute 100% best to. That gives them maybe a, a renewed sense of looking at it themselves. Yep. where they can then take a little more pride in the project. And then that's going to be better for everyone, you know, in the end. Because if you make them look like a star, which I think is the other thing, if, if whatever you're doing, if it makes them look like a million bucks to their, you know, clients, stakeholders, you know, learners, whatever, that's what's going to keep you rehired from this, you know, from the, these yep. clients. That's what they respect the most. Absolutely. Now, something that you've mentioned a couple of times is revisions. And this Mm -hmm. is very common in e-learning. Oh, yes. How long do you keep your files? Do you have everything? Yep. Everything. Everything. I I replaced a couple, I guess maybe two months ago, I had two projects come to me within two days that were five years old that they needed some replacements for. Your employee benefits package for 2022. Your employee (laughs) benefits package for 2023. Your employee. Exactly. I love HR. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, it's something that a lot of voice actors don't think about. I actually held on to an old microphone for probably Mm -hmm. an extra five years Mm -hmm. just in case clients came back and needed me to be able to record and I had to be able to match the sound. And so I kept the microphone, even though I didn't use it in my studio anymore, but I held on to it just in case somebody came back with something. And that is something, if you're going to do e-learning, keeping your files, lots of storage, redundant backups, remembering your settings on your equipment and all of that sort of stuff, it ultimately does come into play because it's not uncommon to go back and update modules from years ago because maybe they don't need to redo the whole thing. They just need to redo certain sections of it or whatever. Exactly. I mean, you know, a lot of times e-learning only has a shelf life of maybe, you know, three or four years, but some of it may, you know, depending on what the topic was, it may have a much longer shelf life. And if it does, you want to be able to be a service to your client, you know. I mean, yeah, keeping everything, especially when it comes to e-learning, is super, super important. You know, not, in fact, I had a client come back to me and they had another person who was originally working on the project that is no longer with the company, so they don't have access to those files anymore. And they're like, we don't even have the scripts. Do you happen to have the scripts? And I had the scripts. 
Yeah. So I just sent them to them. They're like, oh, my gosh, you've just saved us enormous amounts of work. We were going to have to hire someone to transcribe all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I got you covered. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that, if you want to be the hero, exactly. hold on to everything when you work in exactly. this space. I've, I mean, I've, storage is cheap nowadays. Yep. You know, it really is. I've got two physical backups and one cloud backup, and I keep everything so that just in case I know yeah. that I'm going to be good to go. Absolutely. Look, there's one more thing we got to talk about sure. because you recently got into something very new and exciting in Tennessee. So tell us all about the Tennessee voiceover studios and what's going on there. Yes, I just, uh, well, I guess back in August, I started this and officially opened in October. I have started Tennessee Voiceover Studios. We do, uh, originally the idea was to do mostly in-person training, but of course, you know, pandemic being what it is, we're also doing virtual training. And we have a number of uh, coaches from that are here local, you know, doing different genres and different things. And we are offering training of all different kinds and types. Uh, a lot of, you know, voiceover 101 for a lot of people here because Nashville is a huge growing market. It's just, I mean, this city is exploding. And I get requests and ask, you know, people all the time, um, you know, how do I get into voiceover? What do I do? I don't understand what it is. It was really, I've been told I should do this. I, I like audio books, you know, that kind of thing. So I, you know, offer a voiceover 101 class, but the studios, I actually have a physical location. Um, we also rent out the booth for people to come and record, whether it's auditions. Um, I do mostly audition stuff. I've had a couple of people come by, um, that needed to record an actual session um, or, you know, just a small session. And then visiting people from out of town have uh, come and needed it. Um, I don't have Source Connect in there yet. That's coming. But, you know, it's a, I've got a Whisper Room booth and, you know, a Neumann TLM 103 mic in there. And, a, uh, you know, probably going to get a couple more microphones in eventually just to have different sounds and yep. things. But, um, yeah, I've got, uh, you know, a nice physical space for us to be able to hold classes in person and virtually. We kind of do a couple of hybrid sessions lately. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun place. It's kind of nice to have an actual office in some ways yeah. <laughs> to go to when I want to. You know, I can go either to the office or work work at home. And um, it's just a lot of fun to try to start holding actual in-person classes again. I'm hoping that, you know, the pandemic for the whole world, I'm hoping it starts to get better and we can all kind of get back to the new normal that we're going to experience. But um, yeah, it's it's really, it's kind of a labor of love and a, a little bit of a learning curve on how to run that kind of a business. You know, yep. when it's just you and you're just marketing your own services and you can do it from home and that kind of thing, it's a little different. <laughs> but yeah, I've really enjoyed uh, the process of it so far. Um, you know, there are, there are good days and bad days when you're like, really, I've got this great class and nobody's signing up. What were they thinking? But, you know, it just depends on the day and time and who's available and who's not. So, yep. so tell us where we can find out more about the studio then. It is at tnvoiceoverstudios.com. Has all of our classes listed there. And if you happen to be in town and need a place to record something, you know, a lot of people come in from out of town all the time. Hey, can we borrow your booth? Um, you don't have to come to my house anymore. You can, you know, especially since it's really close to downtown, which was where most people are staying, they have a booth to come record in. 
Nashville is on my list. I was there a few years oh, ago yeah. and you guys have the best desserts in all of America, I think. Like, And I'm not even a dessert guy, but I just remember being there for, I was there for, I think, four or five days, and I just oh, was wow. eating all the desserts. And I was like, oh, yeah. This is a place that I need to come back to sometimes. Yes, so it's, you do. It's well, nice we to know. We welcome you with open, open arms. So come see us. Right on. So the, the website, I will put that uh, uh, into the show notes. And what if somebody wants to get in touch with you? Uh, where, we can, where can we find you online or your social media profiles? I am Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-I, Bowen.com. And uh, you can find me Christy Bowen VO at, you know, Twitter or uh, Instagram, Facebook. I am I am there. Well, Christy, thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. I, e-learning is a, it's actually a really fun genre to work in, it I is. think. Although I've been doing some cybersecurity modules lately that have pretty much scared the living crap out of me. And and now I understand why people build like doomsday shelters and want to live off the grid because... <laughs> Yeah, when, I'm with when, you there. When I've you learned start a lot to, too. Yeah, when you start to get into some of the stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. But I just feel <laughs> like, I don't know, every every time a, a new script lands in my inbox, I feel like I get to learn something new about something cool. And that's how I've always thought about it. As opposed to like, oh my gosh, this is a huge module and it's going to take me forever to record and edit or whatever. I just always get excited about the learning opportunities. So I think so too. I think, yeah. you know, when I do get in that fo- phase of, oh my gosh, this is so long and boring, you know, after a while you're like, wait a minute, just look at the content you're reading. This is really fascinating. So yes, I mean, there are some things that are a little more dry than others, but yeah, e-learning in general is a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, it can be. I mean, it, it all depends on how you look at things, but in general, e-learning can be really informative and, you know, make you really Hard to beat at Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There's the upside. (laughs) Trivia night. You're going to win. That's right. All right, Christy. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom. I really do appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Not everybody is cut out for long-form narration, and I understand that. There's something to be said about recording a 30-second commercial, getting a good payday, and moving on with your day. But if you're one of those people who is willing to put in a little bit of extra time in the booth, e-learning can be a great genre for consistent work. It can be a very lucrative genre because the pay can be very, very fair. And like I also mentioned, it's kind of fun to get a education. I mean, really, in essence, you're getting paid to get an education on all kinds of different topics, depending on what type of e-learning you get to do. I'm so grateful to Christy for all of the information that she shared. And I hope this has inspired you and encouraged you to be able to go out and find some e-learning work on your own. Now you know who the people are that you're looking for. You've got a lot of different job titles to consider. You're going to be able to find some people on Google searches or on LinkedIn. You've got a general idea of how to quote the work. So it's out there. Now you just got to go get it. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday Vopreneur Podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly, we think. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The VoiceAM player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicesam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicesam.com slash markscott. And see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. Thanks for hanging out. Want more Vopreneur goodness? Jump online at vopreneur.com.